morning. Welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumser, and today we're going to be talking with Brian Summer. Brian, how are you? Doing just fine, John. Just fine. Uh, so would you take a moment and introduce yourself? Oh, I'm a perennial pain in the, you know what, for uh, HR vendors all over the place. I'm an industry analyst. But I'm one of those rare folks that I'm a buy side guy, and I spend the bulk of my time helping clients select, implement whatever different kinds of um, HR technology. I do other things as well. I've even been pulled into a few big uh, honking big lawsuits in the space also. I know you know this. I'm a former Accenture guy, and I'm not in the least bit intimidated by big, gigantic kinds of uh, problems, projects, clients, uh, as well as I love the small ones because they're fun to knock that stuff out in short order. That's me in a nutshell. That's great. So so tell me a little bit more about how you got here, because you are, in spite of your modesty, you are one of the crackerjack troubleshooters in large-scale contract um, development and implementation. And so th those are hard-won skills that come from a lot of dirt under the fingernails over a lot of years. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I paid my dues. Um, I worked 18 years with Accenture. I was uh, a partner even in the company and out-of-world headquarters. Uh, I ran the firm's software intelligence unit, and I also ran its HR Center of Excellence. My very, very, very first project I ever did coming out of college was to basically rewrite a custom payroll system. And man, it was totally screwed up. Uh, but I rewrote that thing and got it back in production in record amount of time. And from that point on, I've probably fixed or repaired, God, I kind of couldn't begin to guess how many uh, messed up software products out there, custom work package. And recently, I actually did a deal where some of the other members of my team marveled at the fact that I actually could draw all, like, 60-something pages of systems integration diagrams where they got how everything had to come together. And I guess they had never seen somebody who could do system architecture, or maybe that's a, a skill set that's, that has uh, gone lost in the world of technology today. But, yes, I have paid my dues. <laughs> I wonder, you know, we're going to we're going to spend the bulk of this conversation talking about AI and and in particular your reactions to the the latest report from the HR examiner and I wonder if you think that the the kind of architecture that you were just talking about uh continues to be important as you move into an era where data is the infrastructure rather than software. Oh, I think um I think what's happening is when it comes to some of the hard technical skills, uh, the pendulum swung, I think, a bit too far over to the mobile first kind of world. So we have a lot of people who grow up in waterfall, agile, whatever kind of technologies they're used to designing things for, uh, you know, tablets and cell phones and the like. And, and those are great skills. Don't get me wrong. I'm not just being dismissive of that at all. But at some point, that information has got to come out of that kind of environment, and it's got to start moving through these kind of like bigger industrial scale kind of machines. And you do need people who, who worry about things like, well, how do we get that back to something like a payroll engine? And how does it go back and update uh, you know, into the general ledger interface and what are the requirements for that? And who knows anything about double entry accounting and what are the entries we've got to book for it and on and on and on. So 
we still need those skills. Uh, I'm not suggesting people run out and go take a course on COBOL, but yeah, we still need that stuff. And at the same time, the technology world is being pulled in a myriad of other directions. We need people to know all these other new technologies, which we'll get into in a moment on like machine learning, natural language processing, artificial intelligence, and on and on and on. There's just a, an explosion of this stuff happening where there used to be, I think, a lot more commonality what an IT person was 20, 30 years ago. Now they're way more multifaceted and varied in what we're going to need in businesses today. Well, that's that. That's interesting. One of the things that that I think I'm seeing in the marketplace is that the sort of first generation of software, the generation of software that you and I were in the heart of, that that maybe be the last forty or fifty years of software, was all about isolating functions so that you could automate. Right? Narrowing all of HR into a bunch of specialties happened at least concurrent with the evolution of software, if not because of the evolution of software. And so you have these processes that are actually the exact same thing done by different silos inside of HR that strikes me what we're going to see with the data is that they are the same thing, that employment branding is exactly the same thing as onboarding, which is exactly the same thing as the orientation program. And we're going to start to be able to to um, use data to get us to bridge the silos that have become the fundamental impediments to getting things done? Well, I'd say that's an interesting perspective. I might go a little bit differently. Um, <laughs> and, and as your listeners will no doubt note that I get particular joy out of uh, trading zingers with John on like uh, panel discussions and the like. But I think, you know, I, let's go back to your first premise. I think a lot of the way these systems were built, and you're correct, we, we, there was a lot of effort to kind of winnow down the functionality that was going to get automated. But it was being done so because technology was so incredibly constrained and expensive. Uh, we didn't, you know, we didn't have a lot of disk storage. We had almost no memory. And what we did have cost a bleeding, you know, bloody fortune. Uh, throughput was highly constrained. I'd go on down the list. So the only thing you could really afford to automate were just the most critical kinds of transaction uh, elements there were. And that's also what got stored. So we ended up with islands of automation and we did have pockets of redundant data because you had to keep moving stuff down through one program after another to do some piece of the processing along the way. And unfortunately, we ended up with functional organizations that mimicked the technology kind of uh, limitations and boundaries that existed then. I would agree with you that the lines and all that kind of stuff have blurred. Uh, nowadays, because we don't need to have constrained technology. And technology, the prices of it have gotten so ridiculously cheap. I've even been out buying Christmas gifts at some sales because there are just some things that are so ridiculously inexpensive now. And that, uh, you know, it sort of begs the question why wouldn't I upgrade this stuff now while I have the chance and the price is right? But back on to HR stuff, I think now we've got a. Um, now we have an abundance of technologies that are landing in front of an HR executive's you know, table, and they've got to make some tough calls uh, based on which ones do I implement, which ones do I implement now, 
and how do I get this stuff done? And I think that really comes, brings us right back full circle to the report that you and the HR examiner folks put out on all this AI and machine learning stuff. That is, with so much stuff out there, how do I even figure out what do I want to start with? Shall we go there? Sure, I think I think I think that's a great a great question, and it is, you know, I'm I'm going to keep probably pushing this back out to the big picture while you push it into the implementation question. But but if, but if you if you push back out to what's happened in R and D, uh, the the idea of R and D twenty years ago was that you had a great big giant building and people wandered around doing interesting stuff in the great big giant building. And and the very last thing that you would do to an R&D department is saddle it with a revenue requirement. Today, um, little tiny projects are R&D labs, and they come with funding and a revenue target. And so the R&D laboratories um, must produce customers, and they must produce revenue in order to stay on the track of the experiment that they're doing. And that results in a massive explosion of tiny little offerings. So, so we see at HR Examiner, we see, I don't know, seven, eight hundred percent growth in the number of vendors of AI-related functionality over the over the course of the last year. And that means it's impossible to tell what matters if you are a um, buyer. Because nobody can effectively digest 200 alternative vendors. No disagreement there, John. And we better call Ripley's to document that you and I were aligned 100% on one point here. Uh, so that you're absolutely right. There is an explosion of this stuff. In fact, uh, I'm currently helping a client right now. Simply because they went to the big HR tech show in Vegas a couple of months ago, and they were just overwhelmed by the hundreds of these kind of products out there. And they know they need something new. They just don't know how to get it done uh, or figure out what they need to pick. Uh, related to that, um, I had a conversation with Josh Burson, and he and I both were remarking about how we were getting requests for clients this year. Uh 2018 for these kinds of projects where they need help reimagining what some process would look like. And the most common one I get a request for is help us understand what a reimagined recruiting process looks like. And I know why, because there's a big push by boards of directors to get companies to uh, not just hire replacements for the people they're losing today, but to grow the company and the organization in an outsized manner. And unfortunately, I can report back, uh, having been to this manufacturer's roundtable meeting two weeks ago, executive after executive from one manufacturer after another stood up and, told, and shared with their peers that their number one operational challenge is still they cannot find enough people just to keep plants running. And that was really disturbing for a software vendor there because they can't sell new licenses or subscriptions to new plants because these people were talking about, yeah, we've deferred opening new plants or we're, we're shutting down some of the ones in small markets because we just don't have the people in those small towns, whatever, to 
uh, fill the positions that are opening up or we already have open. So what boards want is they want growth beyond GDP growth or growth beyond the inflation rate. They want real outsized growth and it's not happening today. But anyway, back to the key premise though. These um, companies see all this and they, they don't know what to buy. And more importantly, uh, like there is no such thing as really just an HR analytic app. What you have are hundreds or thousands of different analytic apps that are each solving some subset of problems, but no one's got the complete exhaustive, if you will, collection of analytic apps for HR. So there's not one package you have to buy. You'd be buying a dozens of different solutions. That's just to pick one area. And you're right, we got it in machine learning, artificial intelligence, and all this other kind of stuff. We're drowning in opportunities, and we need a plan. Well, and- well, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but, um, you, you know, you, you, your critique is that there isn't a single solution. And the premise there is that HR is the same everywhere you look. And the truth is that HR, HR isn't even really a profession. HR is the intersection of a company and um, its labor markets and its regulatory environments, right? And and that's different for every company. And so, so, so the notion that there's a single package that'll solve this is mm, imaginative. Um, and 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 what you need instead is people who are smart enough and well researched enough to identify the right. You know, you know, HR tech is like a spice cabinet, and you're going to make a recipe and you're going to put it in a pot, and so you need a blend of spices. And it's the job of somebody um, to look at everything that's in the spice cabinet and pick the correct spices so that you make the dish. It's not ever going to be the case that um, one company or even one ecosystem of companies is going to have everything that everybody needs. Well, I'll take your, I, I, I like the analogy, I'm gonna, I really do actually, but I'm going to tune it a little bit and say, instead of a spice cabinet, <laughs> I'm going to call it a pantry. How about that? And, okay. and what I've learned is that uh, I know like growing up, there are some foods that my mother used to make because we didn't have a whole lot of money back in the day. Um, and like, I will not eat meatloaf and tuna casserole and a few other dishes. And I don't know why my mom made them because they were inexpensive to make in the day and we didn't have the money. And so what was in our pantry were, were if you will, limited resources, but she did the best that she could with them. And frankly, HR is often staring at a pretty resource light set of uh, money and headcount that it has to apply to some of these new technologies. And you're right, there isn't, there is no single solution for everybody. Just like not everyone's going to get the same pantry full of goodies or spice rack, whatever. I, I get that. And, I, and that's a fair way to look at it. But I think we've got to realize that there are very large enterprises that can afford to experiment with all kinds of these interesting products. And then based on how those experiments go, can choose to elect to keep some and toss some others or go find better ones. There are mid-sized companies, though, that may have champagne taste, but they definitely have a beer budget that they have to adhere to. 
And finally, we get like the small firms who don't really have hardly any kind of HR headcount or budget, but they've got people and they've got to do something uh, for them, you know, to help move them along. And under that lens alone, when I look at what's available in the marketplace, you realize like we've got a trifurcated buyer group out there and each one has some very unique constraints on how they're going to have to approach this market very pragmatically to figure out what are they going to go with. And again, I'm going to come back to, I've yet to meet a, uh, a client whose HR group just has carte blanche to spend all the money they want to experiment with all this kind of stuff that they want to play with. That, that doesn't exist, I don't think. But what I do find is a very concerned group that needs to stay relevant. They can see they need to make change. They just don't know how to do it. And I think that's the first big challenge because these new technologies that you guys wrote about in your big report are fundamentally so different from the old HR tech that we all know. We're, We're not talking about payroll programs and applicant tracking systems and, you know, uh, performance review technology. We're talking about stuff that's, you know, predicting everything from flight risk and all kinds of other interesting things, uh, robotic process automation stuff that uh, most folks have never had in their company ever, not once. And now they know that's there. They're going to have to probably go with it. The question is, which one of these technologies do they go with first? Well, so let me let me take a break here, and we'll come right back because I, I want to talk to you about what the technology does. You're listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. Benefit Ed helps your workforce get the most out of your employer match program. Employee Choice, offered exclusively by Benefit Ed, enables employees to decide if they want their employer match contributions to be allocated to student loan repayment, retirement, or both. Increase plan participation and offer an innovative benefit without a drastic increase to overall benefit spend. Compete for the best and build your dream team. Learn more at youbenefited.com slash HRX. That's Y-O-U-Benefit-E-D.com slash HRX. And thank you so much, youbenefited.com slash HRX for sponsoring the show. So, Brian... One of the things that dawns on me as I listen to your critique is if one of the key um, constraints of the new technology is the problem has to be something that you can articulate. I, I object largely to to labeling this AI uh, because it isn't really. Um, it is a tool for solving. Uh, problems that have very discrete boundaries. And so so that means that you have to look at things that are smaller to start than um, we looked at in the last generation, because in the last generation, all we did was create forms and give you places to put the blanks in the forms. I mean, the, the stuff that's passed for software and technology is pathetic. And now we're now we're getting to a place where our machines are capable of developing opinions, and um, they're just constrained in the breadth of which they can offer those opinions. And so, and so, so you're not going to get something that fits all the way in. It's too complicated still for that to happen. 
Um, and you have to take small steps before you could run. So, so the idea that that um, that what you do is wait for it to be all there, I think, is what puts you out of business. This is a directly analogous to uh, the advent of the web. And people didn't get on the web on an ROI calculation. And they didn't get on the web because there was some magical freeing of budget that came from starting on the web. The web was always an expense without a really heavy justification for the first 15 years. Yeah, but in that first 15 years, it was an experiment for a lot of people. Um, it wasn't It wasn't a kind of a backbone kind of um, uh, that was carrying a whole lot of great applications and capabilities. It was something people were still trying to figure out. It made like the difference. I would view that as kind of like the difference between looking at a map versus actually being on a vacation. Uh, you could look at a map and imagine all the different places you'd want to go. But it's not until you're actually on the vacation, maybe you got some destination and a method of transportation uh, already picked out. I do want to point out, though, I agree with you that AI is not an application. Neither is machine learning. They, these are not applications. These are underlying tools that may help you get to some goal, uh, depending on how you use them. But the, when you said that they were um, that AI, for example, was capable of expressing an opinion, no, I don't buy that at all. I think artificial intelligence is capable of spotting a trend that it's seen before, and it will And then, based on what it's seen before, it will tell you what you or others have done when they've encountered that in the past. But they really don't express an opinion. All they can do is help you relive the past again and again, but maybe in a more efficient, effective manner. Oh, that is an opinion. Uh, you, you know, I think we're probably going to end up quibbling about semantics here. But it used to be the case that what the machine did is it reported the facts you gave it. The classic saying about software is garbage in, garbage out. Today, with, with various hyper-mathematical techniques, machines are able to look at an array of inputs and uh, give probabilities about those inputs. And a probabilistic prediction about a set of inputs is an opinion. It's an opinion. We think it's likely that the following will happen. It's not the following will happen or the average is X. It's there's a thirty percent chance that this is the right thing to do, um, and and well, well, that, that's, that's what the machines are giving us. The machines are going to give us probabilistic opinion, um, and we need to learn to treat it as opinion. And that last little bit is the most important point. We have to realize that this is just um, a maybe not even. I, I'm even uncomfortable with probability. It is it is simply reporting what the likely um, what people will likely do based on this new information uh, or excuse me on the, seeing this pattern again uh, or it'll recommend what others have done in the past as the course action might want to take um, I'm not I want to make sure that people understand though that the limitation of this technology is quite severe. If it encounters something that's never seen before, because that was never in its database, if you will, <clears throat> then the technology can't really do anything. 
it's not going to render an opinion when it has no past history to leverage. And that's, that is what this machine learning stuff is so you know important for people to understand. Where I go ballistic is when I see people going, well, now we can use this technology to recommend which candidate we should hire. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That is not what this technology should be about. And that's because there's an almost infinite number of kinds of people out there. And for it to, the only way you can recommend someone over someone else is based on some uh, bias-filled data points where people in the past have hired people of a certain kind of profile or demographic, psychographics, whatever, from the past, because maybe they actually did, did well in the company. But that doesn't mean that other groups wouldn't do well either if they just were given the chance. And there's the rub, if you will, with this stuff. It well, doesn't. Well, so, so I agree. I couldn't agree with you more that bias is is a critical and difficult problem to get your arms around when you do what what we do, which is we take a sparse set of measurements and try to construe them as a full description of reality. Right. That's. That's the basic technical trick in machine learning and natural language processing is you take a, a sparse set of data points and um, try to persuade yourself that that's representative of the entire story. And that, that gets you the problem that you're talking about. But um, it's, it's also a mistake to discount the output of that, right? It, um um, I don't think there's a tool that I've demoed, and I have demoed a boatload of these things, that ever says we don't understand the data that we just got, right? So so while it may be true that the underlying machine learning has a hiccup, the visibility in the products doesn't have a hiccup. The, 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 you don't see error notes in um, output from machine learning systems. Never, never seen that. Not, it's not like software in that way. You get the math run with a um, a single defect in it, and and that just the the math just rolls over that. So 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 people are going to believe that this is a full picture, and that's problematic. Um, and I don't know what to do about that because that's the thing that worries me is that we're going to allow the machines to have opinions that drive decisions, even if they don't meet your very useful standards of what an opinion ought to be. Well, let's hope, uh, let's hope there are always going to be generations, uh, new generations of people who actually look at this stuff with a discerning eye. But why don't we do this in the time we have left on this? Let's focus the audience on some things where we think it can work and work well. And I'll give you an example. I think I think probably one of the best uses of machine learning right now in HR would be to apply robotic process automation technologies to eliminate all the non-value-added and low-value-added value added, excuse me, task out of existence for HR. So all those millions of phone calls that come in or emails where somebody's asking HR, how much vacation time do I have available? Well, that's fine. Let's let a bot handle that. You know, those are, 
that's a simple question response mechanism. Let's take it a step further and go where the the uh, the technology can not only recognize um, and facilitate uh, activities like a lot of the onboarding tasks can be automatically and robotically driven and powered and combined with workflow and other kinds of technology to make this stuff such that it frees up more HR time. And I think this is the important thing is if HR budgets aren't going to increase and HR headcount isn't going to increase, then let's free up all the non-value-added and low-value-added time possible with this kind of starter technology and RPA, machine learning, whatever workflow. Let's make that so that HR is performing at a tip-top process excellent or world-class kind of level so that you free up the money and the people to go get the right kind of skills, the quant skills, the machine learning skills and AI skills, whatever, statistic skills, social science skills, all that stuff you're going to need to put into HR to really do the next wave of this stuff very well. That's what I would probably, if I could tell people one thing, it's find the uh, find the waves of this automation that you want to tackle first, second, and third so that you're always building up and increasing your capability. Don't be daunted by the stuff coming out initially, but do look at it with a bit of a jaundiced eye to make sure, a critical eye, that you're you're picking this stuff well and doing it right from the get-go. So, so let me just, you know, I'm ending up sounding in this call like, like I don't think this is the most important thing to hit HR ever. I do. I do, but but the the idea that what you do is find waste and automate that waste, and it's a simple transaction that frees up help to do other things. Um, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. When you install these systems, you must keep the original system operating until you can be sure there's a handoff. And the length of time that it takes to get to the point where you can be confident of the handoff is somewhere between three quarters and a year. And in that three quarters and a year, what's happened to your budget is it's expanded. And that is non-negotiable. You cannot turn on these systems without keeping the people who did the original work in place doing their jobs so that when the machine breaks, when, um, there's somebody who knows what to do, right? And so the cost, the initial cost of installing this stuff is always over the budget that, that the department has. And the reason that you do the installation in spite of the fact that you don't have the money to do it, in spite of the fact that you can't prove an ROI, is because this is where we're going. And if you don't get on board now, you're going to get left behind. And it's no more complicated than that. <laughs> Did I leave you speechless? No, I'm just thinking about, you know, at a client of mine right now, they're in, they're experiencing high growth and they, they actually have old HR systems that were, and hang on for this, custom built bes wow. bespoke HR technology. And the key person left who can maintain and support this stuff could go any day. And I've actually ran into a variation of this very same problem in a much larger organization earlier this year. And so we do have, uh, you know, practically speaking, uh, you're, you know, John, you're right that 
uh, you're going to have costs associated with change, and it will be over and above the, the existing operations. Uh, you know, during the the cutover time frame, I get it. Uh, everybody's going to have that kind of a concern. Uh, the question is, you've got to be able to go to management or the executive committee or the board, and you've got to lay out to them the consequences of not making a move. And it's, and for a lot of these companies, they have patched, band-aided, whatever these things, or ignored them at their peril and have built up monstrous amounts of technical debt. They've got to make a move or they fall from having a barely functional HR operation to a dysfunctional one. And if there's pain today, it will be sheer agony uh, in the, you know, in the near term if they don't start addressing this stuff. So I agree with you that, you know, we're talking about tactical back office capabilities, which you're not going to be able to save enough money. I'm not necessarily suggesting that you can use RPA to automate your way completely out of this stuff. But if you've got to have an entry point, why not make it an entry point where it uses like workflow robotic process automation, those kind of things, so that you're, you're, you try and free up some of the mundane out of HR so you can get these people in a position to start seeing the potential, the opportunity of what's going to come around the corner. Not to do a, a, a shameless plug here, but I, I've worked on a book manuscript for the last year and a half, and it's all about moving to this digital kind of world. And what I learned is that companies go through four stages. The first one is to see what the opportunity is in front of them. And that means you got to become cosmopolitan. you got to go to the HR tech shows and other kind of things, have brown bags, seminars, whatever. But you have to see what is the art of the possible. That's the first step. The second is to think about what those new processes, designs, and how you really want to organize and run and operate as an entity or a company, whatever, HR group. you got to be able to Put that, translate that into some kind of action plan. The third and the most important step I came to realize is something called reconcile. And that is to realize that even if you've got these grand plans, you only have so much money, so much time, so many people and so forth. And you're going to have to figure out what you realistically will or won't be able to get done either internally or with help or not, or if at all. And then finally, you can get on with the transformation. I think a lot of companies try to skip major chunks of those four steps, and that's a mistake. But you kind of you gotta you gotta do them all. And that reconciliation piece, that's the that's the one that cuts to the quick because it's a soul searching deal to figure out like, well, I may have to scale some of this back and I've got to put this stuff in priority. Uh, I gotta figure out what's important for us that's gonna give us the most runway going forward. And when I look at all the technologies, and I, I still can't believe that you and your team have gone through in such incredible detail all of those products in your report. My hat's off to you in that regard, John, a genuine big hat tip there. But I look at this problem as being one that compounds itself on the thousands and thousands of entities out there, companies who are looking at new technology. They've got to make these kind of decisions about which ones of those are going to go with and why. And that's going to be a personal choice, but it's also going to be one built around a lot of those things that happens when you reconcile what you want versus what you are going to be able to get done. In Texas, we have a euphemism. Wanting and getting are two different things. And that's what I think this world in the near term for HR is going to be full of for the short term. 
that's a perfect spot to end. And then what that means is as soon as you've got that book in your hands, let's do another one of these. That was that, that was a very clear description of the phases of managing transformation. So with that, thanks for doing this. Would you take a moment, reintroduce yourself, Tell people how they can get a hold of you and how they can find out about your book when it comes out. Well, right now, the tentative draft of the book is called Digital with Impact, but the editor is having a cow about that for some reason. So I, I'd love to tell you what his exact name is, but I'm not sure. Uh, but anyway, I'm available. You can find me on LinkedIn under um, Brian S. Summer. Twitter, I'm at Brian, at Brian S. Summer, or you can send me an email, Brian at techventive.com and happy to talk to any of you guys. I'm actually, contrary to what John made, make you think I'm actually an easygoing Texan and I'm always happy to uh, talk to folks. If you want to, give me a call and uh, if you can catch me, you can have me. I'd be happy to talk anything about HR ERP generally with you. Thanks so much, Brian. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this today. You've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations, and we've been talking to Brian Summer. That's Brian with an A, Summer, S-O-M-M-E-R. He's Brian S. Summer on Twitter. Find him there. And thanks again for doing it, Brian. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Yep. We will see you back here same time next week. Bye-bye now. Mm-hmm.